0: What's up sports fans, my name is Lucas Weiss, host of the We Sports Chronicles podcast. We got a great episode for you today, I'm pleased to be joined by Ben Wagner. He is the radio play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. In our conversation I chat with Ben about a variety of different topics, from the recent success of the Toronto Blue Jays, calling games at the Sportsnet Fan 590 studio instead of the ballpark as well as Ben's broadcasting career from calling minor league games to finally getting the call to the big leagues, as well as his advice for young aspiring broadcasters looking to break into the industry. The Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now, without further ado, let's go to Ben Wagner, the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on the Wii Sports Chronicles Podcast. All right, on today's episode of the Wii Sports Chronicles podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Ben Wagner. He is the radio play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning. How are you? Oh, I mean, I'm I'm fantastic, especially after last night as we're recording this, it's just after the Blue Jays. Get another comeback victory, this time over the New York Yankees, their first of 10 games against the New York Yankees in the month of September. But Ben, if I asked you at the start of 2020, the Blue Jays would be the ahead of the New York Yankees in the AL East in a shortened season. You probably would have never come on this podcast because you think I'm a complete idiot, but here we are in September, the Jays are out of the Yankees. I mean, how crazy has this ride been?
1: You know, I don't know if I would have called you crazy because the injury history with the New York Yankees (laughs) is massive. And the fact that the New York Yankees have to deal with so many injuries and injuries, especially with their big boppers in the lineup, when they go on the injured list, they're not gone for just a couple of days. They're gone for weeks and sometimes months. So if you would have said that, I would have probably thought, well, they have significant losses and especially significant losses in the drivers of that lineup. So uh, if you would have said – you know the Yankees wouldn't have been in second place in the division. I probably would not have thought of your of you being crazy if the Blue Jays were ahead of the Yankees. I thought a lot of things are working really well for the Toronto Blue Jays um, over the course of whatever the season is, right? And when we got into this thing, we had no idea what the season was going to be—long, short, uh, grind. What you know, whatever. Um, but it's it's not a surprise that the Blue Jays are grinding out wins, having a lot of successes and. and being in the position that they are and I thought that they have potential to be above the 500 ball club and I thought if they're above the 500 mark for this regular season that regardless of where they stand in the standings with who they have to play and how much they have to play not only the American League East but the National League East and on paper you thought these teams were going to be great teams and contenders to make a postseason run at the same time I thought that'd be a really big step in the right direction.
0: And no doubt, and I think context matters here, as Blue Jays fans know. I mean, the start of the season was a bit rocky, not knowing where they were going to play. Some injuries, there were some missed opportunities in some of those close ball games, but they've they've really righted the ship and have been playing great baseball, thanks to some great pitching, some solid bullpen, and getting some big hitting. I know. Teoscar Hernandez went down with an oblique injury. But man, I mean, if he was continuing, he would have been in, in the MVP conversation in such a short season. And of course, Hanjin Ryu, probably in the Cy Young conversation as well. So it's just crazy just how amazing that this team, given all of these circumstances that were thrown their way, given the pandemic and whatnot, how amazing they've been able to respond and just been such a fun ball club to watch as a viewer from home.
1: And it really has been fun. And you think back to even the beginning of July where the Blue Jays went to summer camp, not being allowed to step outside their hotel. They were only allowed to be in the room in the hotel, a couple of conference rooms, and then walk to the ballpark connected to the Rogers Center. Then that was it. That was it. There there were no fun entertainment uh, options in the middle of downtown Toronto for these guys over the three weeks that they were in. Then they get to the regular season. They don't have a home when they start the year. Finally, the decision is not Pittsburgh, not Baltimore. It's going to be Buffalo. They ramped up production there. Uh, as one player told me, it was the worst-case scenario in a worst-case scenario for mm. the Blue Jays, you know, to, to just drag around all of their luggage and have so many questions and then get started only to have a four-day lapse right away one week into the regular season. And it's no surprise out of the gate that this ball club kind of sputtered. You know, guys weren't getting frequent at-bats. The, the pitching situation was in flux. Some guys were working on nine days of rest. Other guys in the rotation were working on six days of rest. Nobody had a routine. But once the Blue Jays got a couple of weeks into this thing, a routine settled down. Some of the young bats emerged. Some guys have stayed hotter. Uh, some guys have kind of tapered off after a hot start. But it's been really interesting to just watch the dynamic of how this offense has changed when some guys have cooled off now, the veteran guys, that usually hit their stride at the beginning of May, maybe the end of May, after they get 100, 150 at-bats. All of a sudden, those veteran guys, like Joe Panik and Travis Shaw, they're providing the professional at-bats. And they're helping flip that lineup over, where the Cavan Beggios, um, the Teoscar Hernandez, when he was eligible and healthy in the lineup. Now, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has had pockets of success. We're seeing a white-hot Lourdes Gurriel Jr. right now. So it's all coming together, and right now it's the most important time for it all to come together for the Blue Jays offensively because what we've seen, as you touched on, with that rotation, that has been pretty solid with Injun Ryu, the addition of Taiwan Walker. Uh, Tanner Roke or Chase Anderson are what they are. You know, sometimes uh, they give you a five-and-dive. Other times they get in that pocket of the third time through the order. It's the already the fourth inning, but that's okay. They've got some lights-out bullpen arms right behind them. And the Julian Merriweathers, Thomas Hatch, Anthony Kays, have just been outstanding relief cords for the Toronto Blue Jays. And they've done it all without Ken Giles, who's <laughs> supposed to be the lights-out closer. And since he's come to Toronto in 2018, he's been a lights-out closer. He only has one blown save. But to remove that piece out of the back end of the bullpen, you thought things would unravel, and they haven't. They've, they've capitalized on so many situations, and the good news is for the Blue Jays, they will continue to add. When they get Giles back at the end of this week, when they get Matt Shoemaker back in the coming week or two, uh, and then you're going to get Beau back into this lineup as well. So those three additions should only help the Toronto Blue Jays moving forward.
0: And this is such a crapshoot season. And as baseball fans listening to this know, the, the first round of the playoffs is a best of three series. And I don't know about you, Ben, but I like—I'll take my chances with Ryu and Walker as the one to punch against you know any team just given how crazy you know a best of three first round series is but I think regardless of what happens this year the fact that the Jays are showing signs that they're a competitive ball club playing meaningful ball games in September if they do get to the playoffs they can then go into the 2021 season saying we believe that we can win now and I think for a young ball club that's so important especially towards the start of the season and Hopefully, a return to some sorts of normalcy back in 2021.
1: Well, the belief started in that clubhouse way back in February, um, where a lot of guys thought the Blue Jays were underrated, young or not. Um, the veteran guys thought, you know, looking at this roster. If pitching could survive, they would be a much better ball club than what people were forecasting them to be. The young guys have been oozing with confidence. Forget February. I mean, like the last six years, mm-hmm. this core of Blue Jay players have been oozing with confidence because they know nothing other than winning and then playing in September as a minor leaguer. Mm-hmm. So the extended season for the Blue Jays, even last year with a lot of these young guys getting their first long run in Major League life, they, they have known in September said, ah, you know, Bo Bichette, I remember saying, uh, you know, we, we kind of already have been playing two or three weeks deep into September. So for a regular season for our perspective is only extended by a week or two, you know, so we're used to this. We're used to winning. We're used to winning championships and they know nothing other than uh, a fall that arrives with a champagne shower. And that's exactly what they want to do. And Roddy right It's said it right at the tail end of summer camp. You know, we're out to crush dreams and a lot of teams had a lot of high expectations some of them have absolutely fizzled, and you hope that that can continue for the Blue Jays as they excel through the last couple of weeks of the regular season. It's been a lot of fun.
0: So in a normal season, you'd be traveling ballpark to ballpark, human interaction with the players, manager, personnel, et cetera. But now, of course, given the pandemic, you're calling games from the Fan 590 studios in downtown Toronto, a lot of Zoom calls with press conferences, Walk me through Ben a day, what your day is like of a game in terms of preparation, going to the studio, and what it's like calling a ball game from a monitor compared to actually being in the ballpark.
1: Well, uh, I'll tell you the the pregame routine for me doesn't change all that often. Uh, you know, I try to do a lot of research and prep work in the morning hours before we get into the lunchtime um, you, you know, and schedule media availability for myself and my own media requests, depending on what radio or television stations are involved. Uh, I try to do that in the confines of before I go to the studio, because once we get into the studio, I tried for myself just to try to keep the same routine as I would on a normal game day. So I want to be at the studio just like I want to be at the ballpark by three o'clock for a standard seven o'clock game. So I'm there four hours before the first pitch. Um, that starts my routine processes, if you will. So it's getting the lineup, it's going through the various scheduled zoom interviews, which is a lot different than a normal case where I'd be walking into the clubhouse with the ball club. Uh, if I had my checklist of things or four or five guys that I wanted to touch base with in the blue Jays side of things, I wanted to do those. And those are face to face interactions. You can really, um, you can you can have those relationships by this time, you know, it'd just be like, Hey, how are, mm-hmm. how are you? Tell me about this. Um, you know, versus the structure of a Zoom call, which is just not nearly as intimate. It's it's recorded, it's in front of a lens, you know, you you don't get the deep dive. And especially for radio broadcasts, and I love that intimacy where you can have those human interest stories factor in, you don't get a lot of that because you you're you're also not only sacrificing the time of the of the athlete but you're also factoring in the other 15 to 20 people that are on these Zoom calls. So you're trying to be short, concise, and direct with your questions. And from a broadcast perspective, you know, we, we get a lot of um, information and we get a lot of access anyway if we need it with people in the front office or contact through the front office to get to the player one-on-one if there's something specific we need. Um, you know, so you, so you, you, you try to recognize – and also respect the fact that there are people that are working on deadlines and trying to file from a print or TV or radio standpoint as well on these calls. So, you know, my conversations are a lot shorter <laughs> than what they would usually be um, in that three to three to five, three to six o'clock window. Um, and also what, what I really enjoy about my job is I get access to the other clubhouses mm-hmm. too. So if we're in Los Angeles, I'm gonna go over and I'm gonna talk to Joe Madden or I'm gonna talk to Mike Trout or I'm going to talk to, um, whoever, you know, if there's something specific that I have to help our broadcast, because I think it's, it's important as Blue Jays centric as we are. And that is the number one priority. Don't get me wrong. I really like to have a feel of what's happening in the other clubhouse. So, um, you know, that, that relationship, and I've known, I know a lot of managers, I know a lot of coaches just from being in baseball now for a really long time, (laughs) almost 20 years. Um, so you know, I, I value those relationships and the ability to just walk up to a person as a friendly face. And those first couple of days of a series are really important because I'm gathering all that information to kind of shepherd me through game two, three, or four of that series. So, um, you know, from an afternoon perspective, a lot of that's been removed. You get into these Zoom situations where, you know, you lose the the human side of it, which I I, I dearly miss. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you make it work and you try to make it as seamless. And and Mike was of the same mindset too when we were going into the broadcast and we didn't have any sit down or, you know, like formally talk about how we're going to do things. We just kind of let things roll naturally. And first and foremost, I thought we're going to be honest with the listeners. If, if we don't see something because of what we're provided, we have to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has reared its ugly head way more than what we ever would have experienced if we were in the ballpark uh, actually watching the games live and it's the simple stuff like seeing an umpire's call mm. you know you're bound by the screen I'm looking at a I'm looking at a massive monitor in the sports 590 the fan studios and our production people do an incredible job making sure our needs are met but we're at the mercy of the lens so if it's a tight shot on a bang bang play at second base and An infielder doesn't react, a runner doesn't react, you know, you're kind of at the mercy because you don't hear out, he's in there, or see, you know, the safe sign like you would if we're watching from the press box. So um, there are are a million different obstacles, um, and it seems like every night, you know, something's new, but we have learned along the way, uh, and to just continue to be honest with the listeners, hey, we you know, we, we haven't seen it yet. We don't know what happened. So you try to draw that out. And from a play-by-play standpoint, you just try to keep it as seamless and as energetic as you would hope if it was 50,000 fans surrounding you as well, going absolutely bananas at the end of September while Danny Jansen cranks a grand slam, you know, and blows the doors wide open of a ball game against the New York Yankees when it looked like Toronto was left for dead. <laughs> of course. You know, so you try to live within those moments still. that's and, and that for me is, you know, some of the major obstacle because – um, as great as our studio setup is, it's a confined—it's a confined room, it's a confined setup. Uh, it's very sterile, you know. There's no ambiance in it. There's no uh, natural adrenaline coming from these moments, you know, where you would feel the buzz of a ballpark kind of engulf you. Um, mm-hmm. And that—I'm I'm an energetic person to begin mm-hmm. with, you know. So those moments for me, I mean, they grip me. And I want it to be part of the broadcast. I want it to be part of me and my energy on the call. Um, you know. And we're just trying to let things naturally happen. And uh, you know, the, the play-by-play story unfolds as the play-by-play story unfolds in, in the background with, with what we're trying to, to come up with. So uh, there are many challenges along the way, but again, um, I'm not using them as an excuse whatsoever. We're just trying to keep it as, as natural as we can.
0: Well, I appreciate the candidness of that answer, and I think it really, you know, the listeners who who, who follow the Blue Jays, you know, will understand from, from a TV and radio perspective, and I think it's really important for you guys to be honest, because like these are really challenging times, and the obstacles, I, I mean, I can't even imagine just, you know, calling on a monitor compared to being there, and I think just being honest that, you know, we may not see that yet, we're waiting for confirmation, I think is really important, but you talk about just the human interaction, and I find with, with baseball broadcasting, it's compared to hockey, where hockey's so bang bang, it's so fast paced, and the play by play broadcasters, you know, constantly calling the player. There's not a lot of time for anecdotes or stories. Baseball is very much a conversation with the viewer, with the listener, where a lot of those conversations that you have with with managers that you can just throw in there in terms of anecdotes and storylines and i'm just curious for you when, when you're doing a baseball broadcast what are the most important things that you're trying to capture and and communicate to the listeners particularly on the radio side where people are listening and not seeing the action
1: uh that's a really really good question and i think it Every time I get asked it, I I think, um, well, I should have said this, that, and the other, right? Because there are so many layers for me to make a broadcast come together uh, that become important. And a lot of it, first and foremost, has to be dictated by the game. Recently, there's a lot of time in these games because the Blue Jays have been playing (laughs) four-plus-hour contests where it not necessarily allows you the downtime to get a lot of that human interest stuff woven into the play-by-play but there are big moments within those games long at bats you know approaches uh from the blue jays that again because i feel like i'm doing doing the broadcast intelligence um i know you know the adjustments that rowdy telethis has tried to make at the plate i know the adjustments that dante Bichette and randall gritchick have talked about you know to enhance uh, his overall approach um or the injury situation to bill Bichette, you know and how jonathan vr acquired its trade deadline you know, now allows Charlie Montoya to be more creative with Kevin Busia. So, as those as those in-game maneuvers are made, I want to tell the listener why it's important, or the viewer why it's important, and bring it all together. Um, those things have to be at the top. Um, obviously, inning and score are are incredibly important along the way, um, but I like to, I really like to give our viewers and listeners an opportunity of why it's important. And bring it to bring it to the scope of here's why it's important in the game here's where it is in terms of this series or maybe this homestand or this hot run that lourdes roriel jr is on and also the perspective of you know where does it rank in this 40 game sprint that the blue jays have already been in now with you know just over two, two and a half weeks left in the regular season you know where is it in perspective you know because Teoscar Hernandez has put himself in, in conversations with Jose Bautista and Carlos Delgado, two mm. of the most prolific sluggers in Blue Jay history. I, I think that's important, you mm-hmm. know, because as revered as those two guys are within the franchise standing, here's Teoscar Hernandez, who's taken a lot of grief, you know, in the first couple of years of his career with the Blue Jays and uh, some deserved. But you know what? The guy is maturing in front of our eyes. And here is the product. Here is where now this cream has risen to the top and guess who now is is revered with teoscar fernandez so i think a lot of those things are important um you know i i am a baseball eye test guy first and foremost you know i like to relay what i see with the eyes i like to talk to a lot of the coaches i think those those details are important. I talk to a lot of scouts and people mm-hmm. involved in the other organizations at the same time. As much as I enjoy working the clubhouse and talking with visiting managers or opposing managers uh, and players, and sometimes I may know those players from just my travels in the past. Right? Uh, I, you know, I think it's important to have a grasp of here's what was said, here's what they are thinking in these moments. Um, you know, a, a really good point is I talked to somebody in the New York Yankees organization and they immediately brought up the fact that they have struggled with the pitching. Their bullpen is a tire fire right now. And Adam Adovino has been not only at the center of it, Adam Adovino has been at the center of it going last to last August. Like, this is no surprise, you know, that he had a total meltdown on the mound where he's terrible at holding base runners. Um, his, his pitches have become almost fringe. And, you know, he complains about the lighting after the ballgame last night. Well, I said on the broadcast, you know, this is this is trouble that tracks back to August for Adam Ottavino, and even in the playoffs, he was not good for the New York Yankees. So, this is just the continuation of somebody, you know, that has struggled not just recently. He's really struggled back over the last calendar year. So, to give that perspective for the Blue Jays, um, you know, viewers and listeners, uh, I try to provide that. So, uh, I want a well-rounded broadcast. You know, I want you to come away hopefully entertained. Uh, on a night like last night or Monday night, you know, I want you to be energized, uh, but I also want you know, to, I want all of our our listeners to be more informed and hopefully enjoy a well-rounded broadcast.
0: You and your broadcast partner Mike Wilner have been together now for a couple of years. You came to the the, the team in 2018. I'm just curious how this experience of calling games from a monitor compared to the ballpark has strengthened and evolved your guys' chemistry. Because, as many broadcasters know, I mean, chemistry is so important. But throw in this obstacle and it becomes even more important, especially in these circumstances.
1: Yeah, fortunately, uh, unlike some of the other major league broadcasts, at least we're together. Mm. Um, you know, some of some of the major league broadcasters are separated either by rooms or. One broadcaster is on his couch. The other broadcaster is at a desk in his basement, you know? Mm. So <laughs> uh, at least we have the eye contact advantage, um, mm. you know, and, and that was important to us even in our conversations If the Blue Jays were awarded the opportunity to play in Toronto for a regular season. They talked about putting us in separate broadcast booths, you know, to because of the pandemic um, or, you know, put a divider in between us because our booth at Rogers Center is, you know, pretty narrow, Yeah, um, you, you know, by all by all standards. So, um, we thought having the ability for eye contact with Mike and I would only enhance our chemistry, but also our interactions with our producer, Tom, Young, who is behind us and he helps out a lot, you know, with some of the easy stuff like coming out of breaks or just reminding us, you know, that we have live reads to do. Um, so thankfully we've got all that eye contact. Um, but from a broadcast perspective, you, you know, uh, it, it it has strengthened, definitely, uh, but not much has changed in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, if Mike and I are in a conversation, it's a very natural conversation, just like two buddies, you know, bellying up, watching a ball game with a beer in front of them, you know, at a, at a sports pub. Um, and for us, you, you know, sometimes we were locked in on the monitor. In big moments, we have to be locked up on the monitor, and that takes away some of the, even the cross-communication, um, where we're watching each other's body language, you know, when to jump in. Because if you turn away from a monitor doing these broadcasts, you may miss a cutaway to the bullpen. Mm -hmm. You may miss a cutaway from the dugout, you know, where we see Travis Shaw getting his left hand worked on by a trainer. These are, these are camera cuts that are only like three, maybe five seconds at the most, because you can't afford to let the camera stay on a player or a situation for too long because it becomes boring to the viewer. Um, So we're again at the mercy, you know, of, of directors and producers the scenes, but also we have to be so locked in on this monitor uh, where you just have screen fatigue. It is a real thing. Uh, I find games, you know, what we're doing in the studio completely exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just totally exhausting because uh, you're watching the game monitor. And then we have a number of other monitors where we can see the bullpen and we can see what we call the all nine. So we can see shifts, but a ball that gets put in play, you know, it's, from a, from a camera in some cases it looks like it's on the moon or in Buffalo where it's a little bit lower, you know, it's not a sharp visual. So you can't make out names and numbers on the back. Um, really, you can just see moving pieces uh, on that all nine. So that's really not a valuable resource once the ball gets put in play. But, um, you know, that just goes to the level of focus that you have to have over, if you're lucky, three hours uh, <laughs> and, and over the course of time now, four hours for the blue jay broadcast you know where you just have to stay locked in and again that goes back to just him recognizing for me and me recognizing for mike you know where our focus has to be and that has to be on the monitor to provide accurate descriptions
0: i want to shift gears and talk about your career in, in sports media and broadcasting you were born in new paris indiana a state known for its baseball and basketball I'm just curious for you, Ben, was getting into broadcasting always in the cards for you for for your career?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I was lucky enough at a young age where I thought, um, one, some sort of broadcasting would be my endeavor. Um, I had no idea at 13, 14 years of age, you know, what it would take, how I would go about it if I would work for a team or, you know, just be at a local radio station in my backyard where I grew up. Um, you know, I'm from a family that uh, does not have a lot of people, you know, move more than 30 minutes away from where they were born. So uh, <laughs> I was once again a black sheep in that regard. <laughs> um, but but you know, when 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 I got bit by the radio bug, I was all in, mm. and I was really fortunate at a young age to to kind of have that um, experience. I was really fortunate enough at a young age to have people believe in me and encourage me to to try new things and do new things and be challenged by certain things and tasks, you know, that were put in front of me. So uh, when I went to college and wanted to be involved at the student radio station, I loved sports. I obviously loved college basketball. I loved baseball. Um, and then once I found that sophomore summer, you know, where everybody else packs up their suitcase and heads back, well, the baseball team still had 30 more broadcasts. So I raised my hand, I said, I'll do it. And, um, that encouragement, one, to do that many broadcasts, you know, after the, the academic year wrapped up. And then the belief, you know, you hear and you realize people listen and it's important from uh, an administration standpoint, coaches and their friends and family, plus the players, friends and family, you know, that you're the link. This is before a lot of online streaming happened where you could see it as simple as and archaic as some of that footage looks from the early 2000s. Uh, radio is still the number one provider for how these moms, dads, uh, the wives, the girlfriends, grandpas, and grandmas—you know—we're still staying somehow connected to their um, to their sons, and in basketball's case, sons and daughters. So uh, I recognized that really early, and that helped me as well in my first professional job when I got when I got to Lakewood, New Jersey, and and started broadcasting with the Blue Claws and. And then obviously, as technology advanced and uh, the investment by the Buffalo Bisons, you know, to not only continue with the broadcast, have two broadcasters try to make it sound as professional as possible um, with me and Duke over, the, mm-hmm. over that decade or 11 years. Um, and then they the added enhancements, right? The TV package with the radio package and trying to balance all that out so it looks as good as it can. Um, I, I kept the listener and the viewer first and foremost as, as the most important broad piece of our broadcast every night.
0: And Ben, for you, I mean, those early experiences, you mentioned being the broadcaster of the Class A Lakewood Blue Claws. You worked in the radio booth at the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, calling basketball games. And then of course, the Buffalo Bisons. How were those early experiences important in shaping who you are as a broadcaster?
1: They were first and foremost the most important. Um, You know, all those things, all those experiences um, helped craft me. You Mm -hmm. know, me, one, and and two, me as a broadcaster. I am, you learn by doing. And as, as important. As you know, some classwork is, and uh, some you know, can't call a one-handed bounce pass. You know, by by watching it on tape in in a conference room, saying, "Well, this is how this is how Dan Shulman does it." <laughs> okay, okay, clear that hurdle. <laughs> yeah, of
0: course.
1: <laughs> you know, all right. Um, uh, you know, here is how you call Indy Chavez. You know, leaping at the wall in the NLCS and pulling back what would have been a go-ahead home run. This mm-hmm. is how Gary Cohen. Does. Okay, uh, <laughs> thanks for the advice there. Go get them. Uh, you can't do those calls unless you have those calls. And and for me, you have to make those processes, those reps. You have to put in those reps. Uh, and that's why I tell young people, young broadcasters, especially aspiring to do live play-by-play, just figure out where a basketball court exists mm. and call a game. Um, it, at Indiana State, We were really fortunate for the men's basketball program to be really good while I was there. The women's basketball program was rising at the time when I was there and I wanted the reps. So while you may only get, you know, a handful of men's basketball games, the the schedule may be wide open for another sport. Well, guess what? You know what? The right wing is still the right wing. Chess passes still have to go, you know, the top of the arc Or or is it between the rings? You know, you're working on your vocabulary, you're working on the mechanics. You just have to do it. So whether it's men's basketball or women's basketball or baseball or softball, get those reps in, do those things. And by doing them, you become more comfortable. Um, you know, my first year Kevin Pilar makes an incredible catch rising above the wall on Canada day. <laughs> I saw Kevin Pilar make an incredible catch in 2014 in Pawtucket, Rhode Island yeah. with the, with the Buffalo Bison. So I've seen the track of Kevin Pilar. I know his timing as he goes through the warning track, but those reps and those plays set you up maybe for the bigger moments, um, where they are just magnified. And here we are in a season where everything is magnified and a season where a team, you know, is having these moments that become bigger and bigger because of where they are, where they are. So, you know, your personal training along the way, hopefully gets you to these moments where, uh, you you've got the pyramid concept, right? you build the foundation with all the reps and the prep and all the work that you're putting together so you can get to that moment and hopefully hit a big call.
0: Yeah. And look, reps, I think are so vital. And I think for, for any young broadcasters, they, they they may be a little hesitant at first Oh, you know, this may not be for me. It's not, you know, that big goal, but in order to get to that goal and eventually reaching the majors, you have to work your way through lower levels and calling different games and Maybe you know empty arenas or, or or empty ballparks in order to in order to get to that major league level. And and I think you can't understate the importance of being patient, especially in sports media where it's a precarious industry. There there aren't many opportunities necessarily available, so it's important to gain as much experience as you can. And very similar to you, I mean, you spent many many years with the buffalo bisons before getting eventually that call to the big league so i guess just being patient just continuing to put that work in to evolve ultimately will then hopefully lead you to that opportunity of getting that opportunity to to advance to the major leagues
1: so much is out of your control um you hear players say i control what i can control you know or it's out of my control it's a front office decision uh broadcasting is Mm -hmm very much the same did I want to be in Buffalo for 11 years the answer shortly is no no I did not want to I applied for other major league jobs I interviewed for other major league jobs it just didn't happen for me you know so your patience will always be tested in those situations so you have to find out do you believe in what you're doing and do you love what you're doing First and foremost, and that's something my dad told me when we were young. He mm. goes, "I don't care what you do; just make sure you love what you do. You'll never have to go to work in your life." <laughs> you know, so um, that is the advice. That is the passion that I carry with me every day that I go to the studio this year, or I went to the ballpark in every year prior. You know, I love being around managers and coaches and players and talking with them, and then you know the experience of trying to put together a quality broadcast for everybody. So. Uh, It it definitely comes with patience. You know, I I thought I had a triple-A job after my first full year in Lakewood. Um, Mm -hmm. And the disappointment that sits in after that, where you are ready to push the go button, pack up, and move across the country, and all of a sudden you feel like whatever you did, maybe you didn't do a thing. (laughs) Maybe you didn't do a thing. Um, It just didn't work out in your way. And the massive disappointment that comes with falling short of a major league job, because this is not only my professional goal. It's my personal goal. You know, I, 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 set up on this track back in 2003, um, you know, when I went to the winter meetings and was hoping to land an opportunity to interview, forget even a job. Um, you know, I've been very, very fortunate. And I tell people all the time, I work in the playground of life (laughs) and this is, this is something that I, I never take lightly. Um, I realized the, the gravity of the job, the importance of being a broadcaster, the importance of being the broadcaster for the Toronto Blue Jays, which um, has its own legendary track, you know, mm-hmm. from Tom Cheek to Jerry Howarth and, and to our broadcasts as they're happening right now. So um, all that encompassing patience, uh, the, the ability to continue to work, not take anything for granted, and the opportunity to let yourself grow at the same time, inning by inning, game by game, and season by season is really important.
0: Does that motivate you that Tom Cheek and and Jerry Howarth, two legendary broadcasters, have meant so much to so many people in Toronto and across Canada, preceded you to then hopefully get to to that level of of broadcaster in in this country?
1: I mean, I have, uh, that's uh, that's an incredibly lofty goal. Um, Yeah. Does it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome um, to think about who has been in that broadcast booth prior to you. It really is. Um, I can't imagine, you know, the gravity that is in front of other people, you know, Joe Davis, who walks into the broadcast booth in Chavez Ravine every day and has to look at Vince Scully <laughs> um, or, you, you know, anybody that walks into the broadcast booth in Detroit where Ernie Harwell, you know, wrapped up his broadcasting career and, and revered. Um, you, you just hope that you do the job the way that the job deserves to be done. And you, you come to work every day. You be a professional. You tell the stories. You you give the people uh, the entertainment because they're sharing part of their day with you. And, you know, whether, it, whether it's now three years in or if it's 30 years in, um, I, I hope that I have that longevity. And um, as Jerry Howarth continuously reminds me, you know, you're – you're just you're just broadcasting the games. You're picking up where I left off. In no way have we ever talked about me replacing him. Mm-hmm. You're not replacing Jerry Howarth. People miss Jerry Howarth. I miss Jerry Howarth. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I miss Jerry. Yeah. Um, I miss the interactions that Jerry and I had. I miss hearing his stories and you know the the jokes that he was sharing during batting practice. Of course, I miss all that. Um, but you know, um, you know, this is this is this is us now. Um, and and this is the job and. I'll never be Tom Cheek. I'll never be Jerry Howarth. I'll never be anybody other than me. And um, I'm perfectly fine with that. And, you know, I just hope that people enjoy the broadcast and they walk away, like I said, entertained, maybe a little bit more informed and really excited about what they heard on the radio that night for a team that's really exciting to watch right now.
0: You, of course, spent many years with the Bisons and have seen so many of the current players go through the Bisons and, and play baseball there was how, how refreshing and, and important is that for you to, to, to sort of track their development because I would imagine that you can bring that wealth of knowledge and perspective to your broadcast than knowing that you know I mean you, you saw these guys when they were young and just starting out and, and before they got to the big leagues
1: yeah there's been more turnover in the last you know year and a half uh since that first year but the relationships that they have with coaches and people in the front office have also helped, you know, Mm. that turnover isn't as great as what it has been on the field of play. Uh, The field of play helps tremendously. And, you know, seeing these guys on the minor league side of things and spring training, plus then traveling through Buffalo, obviously gives you a little street cred, you know, when it's a nice little introduction or uh, being reunited with a couple of players that I may have had, you know, in 16 and 17 that have come through now and our everyday players Uh, and, and seeing the warmth of our interactions helps me with other players. Absolutely. I'm no dummy. I mean, that helps. Um, but but having a grasp of where this organization has been, the players that have come through and kind of where they're headed, you know, that 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 obviously is important for me.
0: Last two questions for you, Ben, and, and, and I really appreciate you, the time, and I usually end off with these with my sports media guests. The first is, and you touched on it earlier about advice for young broadcasters going to a place where there's a game to record yourself. But how important would you say is creating that demo reel and just sending it out to as many places as possible and getting, maybe not getting an interview, but but perhaps getting critique so you can then get better for going forward in terms of applying for jobs and opportunities?
1: Not only coming up with a demo reel, but send it to people that you connect with. Don't send it to everybody because mm. you may like a particular broadcaster's style and you have to be careful of how you emulate those specific broadcasters because you have to search and find your own voice and your own style. But if you if you resonate with a description or the way somebody calls a game and you think you can connect with them in your own broadcast, send it to those people. Um, they may be able to provide the most valuable feedback, not just all the feedback that you're worried about, And sometimes, you know what? You take one little nugget from somebody's constructive criticism or constructive critique, as I like to call it, uh, and you think, you know what? That's that's a really good point. Sometimes you may not agree with that person, and that's also okay. Mm -hmm. That's very much okay because we're constructing a broadcast that we have to feel confident in every day, especially in baseball, right? But when it comes down to the mechanical processes of these broadcasts, Look at somebody that you connect with and just reach out, and I guarantee you nobody in our business is in a place, especially at the network or higher levels, without somebody that took the time to evaluate their work, whether it's a boss, whether it's a colleague, whether it's somebody that they trusted or they were really enthused about their descriptions or their mechanics of calling a football, basketball, baseball game. Those people clearly have had somebody invest time in them and they're usually the most receptive to invest time in other people so i would say you know come up with that short list of people that you know you would want to hear from and and reach out to them and see then where that where that goes um, if it is a demo reel you know spend the time listening to your own demo reel uh, but i can tell you this no broadcast is perfect no. um, you, you know and i walk away more frustrated about things that I may have felt that night I fell short on uh, than I am happier with nailing home run calls, diving stops, or, you know, strike three pitches. Um, you know, those are the things that continue to grind my gears in the background. But uh, I, you have to spend the time evaluating your own play-by-play stories just to get better. And that's part of the process to continue moving forward. So remember to invest in yourself. As much as you're spending the time trying to network and reach out to people within our business, whether they're decision makers or colleagues, uh, make sure you're investing the same amount of time in yourself.
0: Up until this point, what's been the best call of your career?
1: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and need you off with a, with a big one.
1: Um, you know, I don't know that it was the biggest call in my career, but there was a moment where I felt that I that I hit a call and I felt comfortable in a major league booth. Um, I can go back into the moment. I can tell you, we were in Houston. Randall Gritchick goes back at the wall. He makes an incredible leaping grab, pulls back what would have been, I think it was a game-tying home run or maybe a go-ahead home run. Gritchick went back. I felt comfortable within that moment. I'm, You know, in a major league venue, I'm sh- – Three months into my major league broadcast career, I already had called a no hitter against the Blue Jays. But I called a no hitter in the in the broadcast booth, but it was that moment where I felt comfortable in the surroundings, uh, watching uh, a big moment in a ball game, late in a ball game. Richard going back, you know, you have all these resources, you have monitors, and I and I saw the play, and the play matched the call, and I thought to myself, we can do it. You know, they're, they I'm trying to figure out a lot of the, you know, when you first get a job, right, you're trying to figure out where to make copies. Um, there's so much happening in your life and swirling about, uh, that was, that was a big moment. You know, that was a big moment. Um, Canada day, walk off home run. That was a great moment. Mm-hmm. The Kevin Pillar going above the wall and catching just from a historical standpoint, you know, that sticks out. Um, I don't know. I, I really hope the best calls is yet to come. Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. Um, I think about that all the time. But, um, yeah. But I, I there's definitely some some big highlights, and I've been very very fortunate in my broadcast career. I've been very very fortunate in uh, the three years that we've been in the broadcast booth with an opportunity to call Major League Baseball uh, with some big moments and you know some buddies budding stars along the way. So I don't know that they. Uh, I don't know that one particular call comes out, um, but I, there's 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 certainly calls that I'm proud of. You know, there's 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 calls that I'm proud of from home runs, but I'm I'm also really proud of uh, a call last year in Minneapolis. You know, where Teoscar Hernandez has to run a long way back into the corner, dig a ball out. He's got a throw from left field. Freddie Galvis is the relay man. Uh, you know, it's a it's a throw that has to be succinct and has to work. It's a tying run coming around third and they cut him down. They cut him down at the plate. It's a bang, bang play and it finishes the ball game. Um, you know, those calls are hard. <laughs> uh, the moments are hard because there's so much happening within the field, um, within the field, um, and, and mechanically within the constraints of, of, you know, how you're trying to construct it and the importance of those, of those plays. So those, you know, that's another one. Sorry. It's, it's now, um, internal dialogue. It's no, it's looking all good. Back, looking, back, looking back with those calls. Right. Um, you know, so, so again, you know, those, those are particular calls that I'm, I'm really proud of, um, you know, that, that you hopefully can nail. And, and at the end of the day, you're just trying to nail them.
0: No, for sure. <laughs> uh,
1: live, live, live the big moment, you know, live the big moment, uh, because they are exciting. Uh, But those moments are important within the confines of the game. And whether or not they live on a highlight reel or not, uh, those are the moments that become pivotal within every broadcast, which every broadcast is a game, you you know, and that circles it back to the always the why, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, why is, why is this game, this at bat, these pitchers, um, you know, this inning, whatever, you know, why, why are, why are these things important? Um, and you just hope that at the end of it, you can tie a bow on it and be proud of the work that you did that day.
0: Yeah, and look, many broadcasters, like you said earlier, you know, they're they're, they're nitpicking after the broadcast. There's never a perfect broadcast, but, but if you can find that moment that you feel that the play connects with the call and it really is succinct, then it's really good. But like you said, Ben, I think the top call would be if the Jays win the World Series. I think we'd all know what would be the... The best call for you.
1: It would be wild. Um, you know, I've uh, I've only been part of a team that's won a championship once, mm-hmm. and that was in the South Atlantic League. And I remember how much fun that was, mm-hmm. and just how draining that entire run was with that ball club. Um, I cannot imagine how intense, how incredibly emotional a roller coaster would be through October. And if it ends with champagne and smiles and hugs, uh, you hope that the world will be in a situation where Mm. we can all celebrate and give that moment its due, uh, especially with what everybody has endured over the last five and six months.
0: Ben Wagner, he is the radio play-by-play broadcaster of the Toronto Blue Jays. Ben, I, I know you're really busy, so I'm really grateful and appreciative that you stopped by today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.